Thank you, guys. Well, you probably already figured out that the theme of our Christmas service this year is that of peace. And uh, the kids and the worship team have been doing a great job in uh, helping us focus on that. And I just want to share a few thoughts with you as we kind of meditate on that theme of peace. I want to take you back a little over 100 years. It was 1914 and World War One had been raging in Europe for just about five months. Already 400,000 people had perished and another 19 million more would die as a result of that war. But in 1914, on Christmas Eve, the voice of a German soldier cried out from within the trench where they were, had been fighting. And he said, do not shoot after 12 o'clock and we will not do so either. And then a moment later, the voice again, if you English come out and talk to us, we won't fire. Now one brave English infantryman came out of the opposing trench and walked out into what they call no man's land between these two opposing forces on the Western front of Europe. And he came back unharmed, carrying a cigar, which was a gift from the German troops. And then one by one, men began to come out of their opposing trenches and they laid down their weapons and they shook hands and they celebrated a time of peace on Christmas. This, this flowed over until the next day. In fact, they began singing Christmas carols in alternating languages. They could hear the words of Stile Nicht, Hilege Nicht, or Nacht. And it was Silent Night, Holy Night, as a German sang, and the English sang, and all the troops joined in. And so it became what was known as the Christmas Truce of 1914. Amidst the unrelenting violence, there was a moment of peace. Now, when we think about that, we think often when we think of Christmas, we think, yeah, that's what it's all about. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. We visualize world peace where men take their weapons and beat them into plowshares and, and there's peace across the whole earth. And that's often what we think of when we, many think of anyway, when we sing those hymns and we think of peace at Christmas. But... The peace of Christmas is often misunderstood. It's not that that's not a beautiful thing, what happened, or the idea of world peace. And it's not even outside the will of God. But the fact is, that was not the purpose for Christ's first coming. And it was never the expected result. Jesus himself said this in Matthew chapter 10. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Do you catch that? Jesus, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be to members of his own household. Does that sound odd? Especially coming from the one who the prophets and the angels proclaimed to be the prince of peace. 
Well, while everything the prophets and the angels said was absolutely true, it is often misunderstood. The fact is God's purpose behind the events of Christmas, the good news that God came to save a world that was dead in its sin, that he came to be a sacrifice for our sins so that we might be forgiven and saved through repentance and faith in him. That message is polarizing. It divides people. You can test this out yourself. This Christmas... Have all of your family and your extended family gathered around a big Christmas table. And as soon as everybody is settled in and enjoying their meal, just throw out this thought. Jesus is God who came to save lost sinners like you and me. That's what Christmas is all about. And, and you must turn from your sin and turn to him in faith. And see what kind of response you get. <laughs> You're going to get a lot of different responses. You might even have outright war break out right there in your dining room. See, Jesus said it would happen. He said that the gospel, the good news, will turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Most people are okay with the little baby Jesus that we sing about at Christmas. Little Jesus, meek and mild, look upon this infant child. They're all good with that. But they have little room for the Savior Jesus who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Or the Jesus that says, unless you believe that I am the one I say I am, you will surely die in your sin. Just like there was no room for him in that inn, that holy night, there's little room for him today in our society, in our culture, in our capitals, in our courtrooms, in our classrooms, in our holidays, and, and most importantly, in our lives. People have little room for Jesus, the Savior. And so the message of God's salvation divides people because not all people will choose to embrace it. In fact, few will. Few will. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't come to gloss over the deep spiritual differences between those who receive his salvation and those who choose not to. He didn't come to gloss over that. These differences will divide even members of the same family, as Jesus said. He came to make peace first and foremost between God and man. A vertical peace. That was his purpose. That's the good news of Christmas, that we can have peace with God. That's what our worship team leaders were reading. See, the good news is our sins can be forgiven and we can have a personal relationship with the Holy God. One that begins now and continues on through eternity. Here's the thing. The cross, not the manger, the cross was the ultimate peace treaty. It was God's sacrifice for us that allows a sinful mankind to be united to a holy God. That happened 
on the cross. And that is available to us as a free gift through faith alone. And as I said, relatively few will embrace that. But for those who do, there's more good news. Not only is Christmas about peace with God, but it's about the peace of God. It's an inward sense of tranquility and rest. And this peace comes to believers through his spirit that he places in us when we believe. Many people misunderstand this peace too. The peace of God is not the absence of troubles. The peace of God is an internal calm in the midst of great external troubles. Let me read you again what Jesus said this time in John 16. He said, I told you these things so that in me, meaning in a saving relationship of faith in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. That was a promise. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Did you catch that part? He says, in this world, you will have trouble. But in Christ, you will have peace in the midst of that trouble. We received an email last night from a very dear friend and a former pastor here at Riverside, Walt Barrett. Walt learned over Thanksgiving that he has very advanced stage four cancer. It's in his lungs, it's, it's spread into his brain. And he probably has just four to six weeks to live. And this is what Walt said in his email. He said, what I do know for certain is that this life and this battle with cancer is not the end. The Bible makes it clear that the absolute best is yet ahead for those who follow Christ. So we say with humility and faith what the old hymn boldly declares, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. That is peace in the midst of great trouble. That's the peace of God. And it comes when we have peace with God. There's one more part of that peace that we can enjoy. Those who have peace with God not only experience the peace of God, but can begin to experience genuine peace with other people. They can begin to overlook the little flaws and offenses of others that can so easily agitate us. Do those things agitate you? Is it just me? We can begin to overlook that and we can respond to those with grace and forgiveness and mercy because God responded to us with grace and forgiveness and mercy. Now the result is not going to be global peace, but there will be pockets of peace within a world that is at war with God and with one another. We can respond with grace and forgiveness. And this only comes as a result of the overflow of God's love that he pours into us when we receive his peace. It overflows into the lives of those around us. So there won't be global peace upon his first coming. That is only going to happen when he returns 
the second time to judge the ungodly and to destroy evil once and for all. Only then will there truly be peace on earth. We sang the song, Joy to the World. But you know what? That is not a Christmas song. That is not talking about his first coming. That is talking about his second coming when he comes to judge the ungodly and put an end to sin and evil once and for all. The words of that say, no more let sins and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. See, the second time he's not coming as a suffering savior, he's coming as a conquering king. And for those who have faith in him, it will be the consummation of their faith. It'll be the epitome of joy and celebration. But for those who do not, it will be a dreadful time of judgment. Christmas Day 1914 brought a pause to this relentless war for one day. See, the next day, they returned to fighting again. And as I said, 19 million more men, women, and children would perish as a result of that war. Maybe today is bringing you a moment of pause where all the busyness of the world is put on hold for a brief time so that you can really consider the true meaning of Christmas. The fact that Christ came to give you an opportunity to have peace with him. This offer of peace is only available when we repent, when we admit we're sinners. We confess that. We turn to God and say, God, I can't be the perfect person that I would need to be to be in your presence, but you came as Jesus Christ and lived that perfect life for me. And you took the penalty for my sin so that by faith I can have peace with you. I can have the peace of God and I can begin to have peace with other people around me. Many people have received that peace already and that's the reason why you see people celebrating with great joy. These words, they're not just lyrics, they mean something to us. They're an expression of our heart. They're overflowing joy for God who has saved us. But there's others here who have not received that peace with God. And they still sit under his judgment. And so my hope is that this Christmas, you wouldn't just look at Jesus as the little baby in the manger, but that you would embrace him as your Lord and Savior. That you would find what it means to really have peace with God. It is a life-transforming experience. It will have you singing God's praise in a way you never thought you could. It'll give you peace with God and the peace of God in the midst of all of the trials and troubles of life. My hope is that this Christmas you would find real, true, lasting peace. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this Christmas season that we're celebrating. It's a time to remember when you gave the ultimate gift, your son, Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. 
You let the splendor of heaven to come to this earth to offer us peace. Peace with God, the peace of God. And for those who are here this morning and are in need of that peace, God, I pray that in faith they would turn to you and receive it. And for those who already received this free gift of forgiveness and eternal life, I pray that our response would be one of great thankfulness, pouring out our hearts in worship and praise. God, you alone are worthy of our praise. And so we offer it up this morning with grateful hearts as we celebrate Christmas together. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue worshiping together.